do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. Welcome back to the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network. I'm your host, Jonathan M. Ruggiero, along with my editor and part-time co-host, Logan Ramsey. We're glad to have you back again, Logan. And we're going to start off today with Republican failure after Republican failure. Republicans in the House failed to impeach DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas because simple math is too much for this Republican caucus. And after months of trying to find a reason to impeach President Biden, they moved on to a cabinet secretary, specifically DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, for the high crime or misdemeanor of not securing the border. Hmm, a Twilight Zone much? The GOP House won't vote to secure the border in a bipartisan Senate bill negotiated over four months that gave them every draconian measure they had requested. All of this was Republicans taking orders from Dementia J. Trump railed against actually fixing the issues at the border because it would be a perceived win for the Biden administration and one less tool for Trump to use to attack President Biden in the 2024 election. And by God, he needs tools because the economy is on fire. Record unemployment, 24 months in a row. That's the most in 50 years, with unemployment below 4% for 24 consecutive months. The best in 50 years. Trump loses appeal. Trump is indeed not immune for everything he did while president of the United States, which not sure he understands exactly what that means because he is not the sitting president. And if a president was, well, immune from everything he did while he was in office, then Joe Biden could do whatever he wanted to do to Donald Trump. Finally, the three-judge panel unveiled its long-awaited opinion. We are now one step closer to seeing Trump in a criminal trial. Now, let's get on with it. Hopefully, the Supreme Court of the United States won't take up the outrageous case and allow his January 6th case in D.C. to move forward. Now, more news about the Nevada primary. Joe Biden wins the Nevada primary on the Democratic side. However, on the Republican side, they're having both a primary and a caucus. Confused yet? Well, on the primary ballot, Trump did not appear 
Nikki Haley did, and she came in second, losing by 30 percentage points to none of the above. And in this particular situation, the caucus was actually where all the delegates would be awarded, and Nikki Haley's name would not be on the caucus ballot, which a caucus is a bit of a mess in a bit of an amateurish way to pick a candidate in the first place. So Trump wins the caucus, but wasn't on the primary ballot. Does that make any sense to you? No, that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to, to me either. And uh, Romney McDaniel, that is formally Romney McDaniel, just Ronna McDaniel, she wanted to appease Trump, of course, so she dropped her maiden name and sort of disowned her own family. And the senior senator from Utah, Mitt Romney, her father, again, to appease the wannabe dictator. And she is still going to be removed as chairwoman of the RNC at the end of this election cycle. So, proof, once again, Donald Trump doesn't care about anyone except for... Donald Trump. That's exactly right. Donald Trump is in this for himself and all of the bootlickers in the Republican Party who've sabotaged the border deal, the deal that would have sent money to Ukraine, Israel, the Palestinians, and the Taiwanese, was torpedoed because Mengo Mussolini asked for it to be torpedoed and railed against it. This will surely backfire. As now, the hot potato that is the southern border and the issues surrounding the southern border can be blamed squarely on Republican incompetence and Donald Trump. I'm about to end this man's whole career. This is sure to play a huge role in the 2024 election and play a huge role in what happens in the United States Senate. Republicans sabotaged the bill to help the border, to help Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, and a standalone bill for $17 billion in aid for Israel, which is really for the, quote, Trump of Israel, close quote, Bibi Netanyahu, who before the October 7th invasion was trying to dismantle the courts so that he wouldn't be held accountable in his corruption trials that are upcoming as soon as he is thrown out of office, which will be exactly one day after the Hamas and Israeli conflict ends, a man who still won't support a ceasefire in Gaza, even as 28,000 Palestinians have died. No standalone bill for Israel will pass their own brain-dead caucus, much less a Democratic-controlled Senate. As the world's foremost democracy, we must support Ukraine. 
Now, there is no chance Republicans will get a second bite at the apple for the draconian measures they have wanted at the southern border for so many years. Immigration, once a winning issue for Republicans, is now an issue for which they own all of the blame for whatever happens at the border. Losers. They are all losers. <laughs> losers. We are now waiting to see what Trump's next move will be. It will likely be an appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States as they are viewed as illegitimate. They might not take up the case, allowing the D.C. insurrection trial to resume. This, of course, is the trial surrounding his involvement in January 6th in the insurrection that occurred on January 6, 2021. Don't take my word for it. Take Trump's word for it. Because as his attorneys were arguing in front of the Supreme Court of the United States that he should be allowed to remain on ballots across the United States despite the fact he violated the 14th Amendment, he was saying that it was in fact an insurrection, only it was Nancy Pelosi's fault. If I remember correctly, his supporters were marching up and down the halls of Congress calling for Nancy so they could murder her. And one of Trump's supporters broke into Nancy Pelosi's San Francisco home and bashed her husband, Paul Pelosi, over the head with a hammer. We can all think back to that repulsive post made by Elon Musk shortly after he acquired Twitter. You remember the underwear and the hammer? Not exactly classy there, Elon. Around 14.3, I have only this question to ask. Why is a court anywhere adjudicating whether or not Donald Trump can be on a presidential ballot? There are several requirements for who can and cannot run for president. Number one, you must be 35 years of age. Number two, you must be a naturally born citizen of the United States, not a naturalized citizen like, say, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who would likely win if he ran for president and these rules didn't exist. And you cannot be an insurrectionist or one who gives aid or comfort to those who commit an insurrection after you've taken an oath to defend the Constitution. 14.3 is self-executing and doesn't need this illegitimate religious Supreme Court to weigh in at all. But it appears, at least in the 14.3 case, that we're going to get an 8 to 1 or possibly even a 9 nothing ruling in Trump's favor. However, in the January 6th trial, after the three-judge panel excoriated Trump, telling him he does not have absolute immunity. No president has absolute immunity, especially when they commit an insurrection and get people killed at the U.S. Capitol and try to overthrow a democratically elected president of the United States, try to stop that certification. That is the definition of an insurrection. 
and that trial needs to move forward as quickly as possible. I also have to admit I'm a bit enraged. Enraged at whom, you might ask? First, Robert Herr, special counsel, who is a Republican who pathetically trying to give Dementia J a boost as he melts down daily on the campaign trail. Robert Herr said that given Biden's age, he was likely confused and did nothing illegal. And there's no reason to bring charges against him. And he likely uh, just uh, is a well-meaning old man who made a mistake by having those materials and that he likely doesn't remember when his son died. Of course, we're talking about Bo Biden, who tragically died as he was the acting attorney general for the state of Delaware and a veteran of both Afghanistan and Iraq. I have one question. Who the hell are you, Robert Herr? Who the hell are you? Who are you to come out and make this type of diagnosis of the President of the United States? And at some point, President Biden is going to have to learn you cannot extend olive branches to these Republicans because they will not live up to your expectation. Instead of simply saying there will be no charges brought against the President of the United States because he did not willfully retain any documents, the way Donald Trump did, first telling NARA, the National Records Archive, that he uh, uh, wasn't going to return any of the material he stole from the White House, then saying, well, he did give it all back when he actually only gave part of it back, and signing an affidavit to that effect. He then had boxes moved all the way from Florida to his golf course in Bedminster, New Jersey. This has been well documented in the Florida documents case, which may not get started until 2028, as long as Judge Eileen Cannon stays on the case. It's an absolute disgrace. And Robert Herr, you should be disbarred, and you should be disbarred now. If the Bar Association happens to stumble across our little podcast, Please take our advice and take this man's license immediately. He has no business being in the legal profession if he's going to moonlight as a doctor at the same time, specifically a psychiatrist. And as the United States flourishes under Biden's leadership, as we see record unemployment for 24 straight months, the best in 50 years, record unemployment among African Americans in the United States. As we've seen the stock market reach new highs in the Dow Jones and new records being set in the S&P 500 on what seems like a weekly basis. And as annual wage growth outpaces inflation for the first time in years Robert Herr has the audacity to come forward and say essentially that the president of the United States is a feeble old man who doesn't remember when his son died of traumatic brain cancer. 
This silence was on purpose because that is beyond disgraceful. By the way, Trump went ahead and admitted that it wasn't in fact an insurrection, only he tried to blame Nancy Pelosi, as I mentioned before. January 6th was an insurrection, there is no doubt. If the Supreme Court of the United States rules against 14-3, then they've lost all credibility, all of the credibility they have left. The argument that this could become a political hot potato and future candidates could uh, find reason to keep opponents off ballots in various states like Texas. Well, that's complete bullshit. Unless, of course, that candidate has committed an insurrection against the United States or given aid or comfort to those who committed an insurrection against the United States. The only Supreme Court justice who seemed truly interested in what 14.3 has to say was Katanji Brown. Hopefully we get an eight to one ruling and she's the one dissenting voice in this ridiculous saga about the 14th Amendment. But we'll find out because we hear Trump again and again calling January 6th an insurrection, only trying to blame it on other people, specifically Nancy Pelosi, who would put herself and the rest of the House of Representatives and the Senate in such jeopardy because that was her mob that showed up outside. They weren't shouting, we're here for Nancy because they were supporters of Nancy Pelosi. They were yelling they were here for Nancy so they could drag her out and kill her. That was the point. This is the same group of people who built gallows with which to hang Mike Pence, the Republican vice president who refused to throw out the results of the 2020 election. I can't believe we're still talking about this, but that's where we are in this country. It has taken this long to get even a little bit close to holding Trump accountable for his actions on that day. Biden's angry press conference the night after Robert Hur made his horrendous statements was right on point. How dare Robert Hur bring up the president's dead son? It's beyond the pale. As I said before, disbar him and disbar him now. Lastly, I'm enraged at the current Attorney General of the United States, the stuttering buffoon Merrick Garland. Instead of appointing a special counsel on day one, he waited two years. So now, we, the American people, are not only battling a fascists, but we are battling a deadline at the same time. He's a weak, stuttering buffoon, and in a month or so, he should be fired by President Biden. However, there is some good news. 
Judge Lewis Kaplan denied a motion to dismiss the judgment, and the clock is now ticking on the $83.3 million payment Donald Trump owes his victim, E. Jean Carroll. He'll need to post a bond, which is not going to happen, or give the court all $83.3 million to hold during an appeal. Trump cannot appeal without this happening. We also have news that Alan Weisselberg, former Trump Organization CFO, committed perjury when he was brought up on charges a little over a year ago. Now his role could blow up in Trump's face. He's agreed to discuss these terms with New York Attorney General Letitia James and with Judge Ingeron as he weighs just how much to disgorge from the Trump Organization. Between the $88.4 million he owes E. Jean Carroll, that is, Donald Trump owes E. Jean Carroll, and the E. Jean Carroll case number one, and in the E. Jean Carroll case number two, Trump owes Miss Carroll $88.4 million, and the state of New York is asking for $370 million more that's being sought by New York Attorney General Letitia James. This could cost Trump five to $600 million before it's over with, and a clock is ticking for him to either secure a bond, which again is not going to happen, for $83.3 million, or turn over the entire amount to Judge Kaplan's court. And most legal experts expect Judge Ingeron to require the Trump Organization to pay more than the $370 million being requested by the New York State Attorney General. That was all before Alan Weisselberg admitted to perjury, which could raise the stakes significantly and increase the amount of money owed to the state of New York well beyond $370 million, when most legal experts were expecting it would be closer to a half a billion dollars. Well, now you have Alan Weisselberg telling the truth, chief financial officer of the Trump organization, or at least we expect he's telling the truth. The man's not above lying. Obviously, he admitted to committing perjury in the first place. Well, now this could turn into a six, seven, eight hundred million dollar disgorgement against Trump, especially when you add the $88 million he's going to have to fork over to E. Jean Carroll. Logan, I'll ask you this. All of the nasty comments, the ridiculous posts on Truth Social, have you seen anything at all since the $83.3 million judgment against Donald Trump for defaming and raping E. Jean Carroll? Have you seen anything about E. Jean Carroll in any of those posts? No. It looks like $83.3 million was enough to finally shut him up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we found a number, and it's approaching $100 million. $100 million is about what it costs to get Trump to shut his mouth. Because now the Republican Party is completely broke. As a matter of fact... 
They took in just about $200 million last year. The problem? They spent $202 million. We've covered that before right here on the Magnolia Media Podcast. And now you have states like Michigan requesting a line of credit. That is their Republican Party going to banks to request a $500,000 loan, please, so we can keep our candidates' heads above water? Denied. I mean, if I were a bank, I certainly wouldn't turn it over to them because there's a good chance that money will be confiscated by Donald Trump to pay either his civil debts or the near $60 million that they've spent on attorneys in just over a year. So you have all of last year, which came to just shy of $50 million, and then all of the cost for attorneys in just the first month, uh, month and a half of this year. $60 million, and that's PAC money being grifted off the backs of people who work hourly jobs. Most Trump supporters didn't go to college, don't have enormous retirement funds, and are handing over 10, 20, 50, $100 at a time. For those white evangelicals who believe in tithing, they might be giving him 10% of everything they're worth, maybe more. In the New York AG case, Trump could have his property seized to settle his debts. The same is true in the E. Jean Carroll suit. Now, this would include Mar-a-Lago. It would include the golf course at Bedminster. It would include his, I think it's Four Seasons property outside of New York. Yeah. It could include, um, well, pretty much all of the major Trump properties that are actually worth something. As we've discovered during this trial, even Mar-a-Lago wouldn't cover one-fourth of what he owes E. Jean Carroll. As he told the tax assessor, it's only worth 18 point something million dollars. Well, you owe E. Jean Carroll $83 million, actually 88, but that 5 million from the first lawsuit is already uh, being held by the court so that when his appeals are done, she can get a check that day. And kudos to Robbie Kaplan, her attorney, no relation to the judge, Lewis Kaplan, for, well, being willing to take on Donald Trump, being willing to take on the harassment, being willing to uh, take on the maggots who oh, certainly uh, threatened and certainly showed up at her house, certainly doxed her, certainly caused every type of uh, chaos they possibly could to upset the proceedings. But it didn't work. As we move through today's notes, and then I move through today's copy, I kind of jumped ahead of myself a little bit. As we talked about the $370 million possibly going on up to five or $600 million, which I don't believe Donald Trump simply has lying around. I don't believe at any one time Donald Trump was worth eight or $900 million. Although even under deposition, under oath in the E. Jean Carroll case, he insisted to her attorneys that he was worth $10 billion. 
Again, at no point in time was Donald Trump ever worth $10 billion. And for you absolute morons who still insist on voting for this sorry son of a... He was never that rich. He was never a billionaire. You can turn to real billionaires like Mark Cuban and hear them laughing all the way from Dallas, Texas. Because Donald Trump was never one of them. Donald Trump had tried his entire life to get into Manhattan real estate because most of what his father left behind was in Queens or in the Bronx. As a matter of fact, I think Taylor Swift has more money in her account than Trump. Oh, and there, there's no doubt that if you take the entire uh, Taylor Swift portfolio, she is worth somewhere between $1.1 and $1.3 billion. And I am willing to bet that at no point in time has Donald Trump ever been worth over $1 billion. And the obsession with Taylor Swift, I'm glad you brought that up, Logan. Yeah. Because I want to give a quick shout out to someone. Someone who I used to listen to on ESPN radio on a, on a regular basis. I used to even watch the live stream of his show back when he was on ESPN. He now works for uh, Fox Sports. Colin Coward. Colin Coward made some statements a little over a week or so ago about uh, NFL fans who obviously now hate Taylor Swift because they support fascism and Donald Trump as they watch the incredibly violent sport uh, give their favorite athletes, uh, you know, Parkinson's disease and CTE. They do care about what happens around the game. They watch those idiots in Buffalo jump off 10-foot snow mounds on break tables. They watch the little highlights of, you know, people shotgunning beers in the parking lot and the massive cookouts that take place at all of these NFL games. You love everything that goes on around NFL games. And you absolutely love hearing all of this news, all of this spicy controversy with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. But here's the issue. Studies that have been done, as was mentioned by Mr. Coward, show that 50% of men in America will never experience true intimacy in their life. Holy that shit. 50%. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean sex. They can always, you know, take off to Vegas and take advantage of the, uh, you know, legal prostitution bit. That is, if they have a job, you know, that <laughs> can afford them a piece. But intimacy, that means loving someone. That yeah. means holding someone. That means having a woman in your life who cares as much about you as you care about her or a partner in general if you happen to be a gay man. Yeah, love is love. But for straight men, we, well, we're failing. We're failing in comparison to women. And Taylor Swift is a constant reminder of that. She is a reminder that women are out in that age group are outperforming men in almost every category. 
they're getting better grades in middle school, high school, college. The majority of doctors will be women if they aren't already. The majority of attorneys will be women if they aren't already. And most of the wealth accumulated, at least in my generation and in the generation right behind me, Logan's generation, will be accumulated by women. So kudos and an applause to Colin Cowherd for his very well thought out statements on the issue of Taylor Swift and NFL fans. And uh, by the way, I, I do hope Kansas City wins the big game as this is being recorded on Super Bowl Sunday. However, I won't be watching the game. The only sport that inflicts uh, brain damage on people, which I'm really interested in, is boxing. And uh, there's no significant <laughs> boxing match tonight. Although I do realize and I do recognize that if boxing were invented today and the Marquis of Queensberry rules were put on the table, oh, it would be, be banned. banned. Yeah, it'd be banned. There's no way it would be allowed to go on. But as long as it is allowed to go on, I'm going to keep watching fighters like Gervonta Davis, fighters like my favorite, Terrence Bud Crawford from Omaha, Nebraska, Canelo Alvarez, Dimitri Bivol, and uh, these heavyweights who are as feckless as Republican members of Congress. Now we're going to have to wait until May for a possible unification bout in the heavyweight division. And we also got news that rising star Shakur Stevenson may be retiring from the sport of boxing in the middle of his prime because he can't get the fights that he wants. Politics and boxing have ruined the game. And Shakur Stevenson walking away right in the prime of his career is, well, example number one of what's going on in the sport of boxing. But we still got little Tank Davis out there running people over at 5'5", 135 pounds. If you don't know who I'm talking about, look him up on YouTube. Check out this little monster from Baltimore. He is something to watch. And Bud Crawford, the greatest pound-for-pound -pound fighter I've ever seen in my life. Now, let's get back on point just a little bit. As far as Trump is concerned, his ability to do business in his home state of New York, for all you MAGA people who correlate Trump with Florida, Trump is a New Yorker who spent his entire life trying to break into the Manhattan real estate market and get out of Queens and Bronx and Atlantic City where he built five casinos that he owned so he was competing with himself when he ultimately spent one point some odd billion dollars on Trump Taj Mahal, which is now just a big empty building in the middle of Atlantic City because it went bankrupt within a year. Damn! That's Donald Trump for you. A, a businessman so brilliant that he would decide to put all of his properties out of business. Well, he got one hell of a tax shield for it. Now... As for the border deal demanded by the GOP and then received, 
After a bipartisan group of senators delivered it to them, they decided to torpedo the bill. Why? Because Trump, their God King, threatened them. These bootlickers decided to sabotage aid to the border, to Ukraine, to Israel, to Palestine, and to Taiwan. So Donald Trump would have something left on which to campaign. Because the messaging around Biden's age isn't doing anyone any good. Biden looks plenty sharp. And sure, he's not as quick as he used to be. He is 81 years old, after all. But when it comes to Biden, age is a feature, not a bug. With Donald Trump, I'm not sure Donald Trump even knows where he is. We had the Sioux Falls slash Sioux City incident during the Iowa caucus. We had more during the New Hampshire primary. And we had the Bing, bong, bing, boom, bing, bong, bing, when he was describing military exercises, I think. I'm not completely sure. <laughs> and now he's he's running words together. And, and, and no one really follow what the hell this stupid son of a is even talking about on a regular basis. And you're going to let him near the nuclear codes? You're going to let him near the seat of power, the most powerful position in the world? I mean, the man allowed 1.1 million Americans to die, and I know what the Republican response will be, but, 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 Jonathan, Jonathan, nobody could, could stop an airborne virus from getting into the United States. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hush. Remember H1N1? Remember bird flu? Remember the swine flu? Remember Ebola? President Bush and President Obama understood the levers of government in a way that Donald Trump couldn't fathom. And they stopped those infections from making their way onto the North American continent by working in concert with our partners in Canada and our partners in Mexico to make sure that these viruses stayed out of the United States. It shouldn't have been March of 2020 when Donald Trump finally took action on COVID-19. It should have been way back in November when the first signs of a new exotic and lethal virus started to pop up in Wuhan, China. Instead, Donald Trump waited until March and then told people to inject bleach and stick light bulbs up their... <laughs> to get ultraviolet light inside the body that would kill the disease. That was after the two-week time period had elapsed. The two-week time period when he said that the disease will just magically disappear after two weeks. He was obviously not interested in doing anything about it because it was killing people in New York City, the city that had embarrassed him time and time again, the city that had had his name scraped off 2,500 buildings and a marketing scheme that allowed him to stay above water all of those years before Michael Barnett put him on The Apprentice on NBC, where he made uh, about $200 million over a, what, 10-year period that he was on that ridiculous reality TV show. If we're ever to elect a billionaire in the United States again, make damn sure it's a billionaire like Mark Cuban. 
I mean, I'd rather have Jeff Bezos with his, you know, uh, what, 21-year-old girlfriends dancing around in front of him on his yacht as he dismantles his $150 billion plus dollar fortune and gives it away to charity. And Mackenzie Bezos, who, you know, at any moment could call up and give 10, 15, or $20 million to a cause with which she feels compelled to give. So there are good guys out there. Not every billionaire is Elon Musk. Not every, well, mega millionaire, if you want to call him that, is Donald Trump. There are people who have incredible amounts of money who could effectively run the United States. But after Donald Trump, that left such a bad taste in my mouth that I think even Mark Cuban is wise to stay out of U.S. politics. He can have his opinion, and his opinion is appreciated. But as far as actually running for office, I don't think he'd be doing himself or anyone else any favors. But the bastard cowards in the House of Representatives have made sure that nothing is going to happen before the election, including any funding for our allies, any funding for the border. And if I were President Biden, I certainly wouldn't allow them to have a second bite at the apple. Those draconian measures were, well, I guess as anti-progressive and anti-democratic party as it gets, but he was willing to do it in order to get the aid necessary to keep Ukraine in the fight against Russia. Because the goal isn't just to secure Ukraine, it's to push Russia all the way back to Moscow and break Putin's back. We have that opportunity, but it seems Republicans are all too happy, all too happy for us to, you know, enter World War III when Putin accidentally fires a missile or purposefully fires a missile and hits Poland, a NATO country, which means the United States will have to jump into action along with all of our NATO partners to defend Poland and any other NATO country from Russian aggression. I'd just as soon not be caught up in World War III, which will include nuclear weapons, but it seems that the Republican caucus could give you one way or the other. <laughs> and the news cycle is still regurgitating the incredibly short-sighted and repulsive comments about Joe Biden said by Special Prosecutor Richard Robert Herr. I'm sorry, Richard Herr. He's created a fresh narrative for the right-wing echo chamber, but seems to have left her with a giant stain on his resume as an attorney. His lack of professionalism is inexcusable, but his comment about the president not remembering when his eldest son died of a brain tumor is repulsive. If it hadn't been for his son's death, he would be finishing out his second term as president of the United States. Many pundits have asked, quote, is this a Comey slash Hillary Clinton situation all over again? But in this case, for Biden, instead of Hillary Clinton, 
What the hell are you people talking about? Comey came out and made those comments about Hillary Clinton days before the 2016 election. And Comey will always be remembered as the FBI director who made Trump's presidency possible. That piece of decided to step up and make those comments in late October, too late for Hillary Clinton to do anything about the narrative. And it led to a very, very small victory across three states that made Donald Trump president. It was a repulsive thing to do. It was inexcusable. And Comey will always be remembered that way. You know, Comey tried to make a little comeback here a couple of years ago. He, he wrote a book and, and, you know, tried to make a, a compelling argument for why Trump was so awful because after helping Trump get elected, he was promptly dismissed as the head of the FBI years before his 10-year term was to end. So that's what Trump does to people who help him, whether it was on purpose or inadvertent. Well, it turns out nobody gave former FBI director James Comey. I'm not sure what the exact numbers were on your book, but I'm willing to bet it was damn near nothing. However, Biden's enraged response was pitch perfect. He talked about the disrespect shown to him as a man by mentioning Bo Biden's death. Biden has to stop offering olive branches to these Republicans by allowing a Republican special prosecutor to look into his handling of classified documents. To hell with that. Let your own Department of Justice and a Democrat appointee go and look through it. That way, we could have had a report in two or three weeks that exonerated the President of the United States. He didn't willfully retain a damn thing. He turned it all over. He, he welcomed them into his private residence while he was in D.C., where he now lives, at the White House, because he is and has been president for three years, and God willing, he'll be president for four more. There's nothing wrong with the mental capacity of this current president of the United States. However, a man two and a half years his junior seems to be suffering from brain rot. I mean, he has all the signs of a stroke as his words are slurred together and he makes his statements about his perfect phone call, his perfect phone call when he asked the Secretary of State of Georgia to throw out the results of the 2020 election in the state of Georgia where Joe Biden won by 11,779 votes and he had no problem asking then Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to, uh, you know, just find me 11,780 votes. Just find them. Just make them appear out of, out of uh, thin blue air. Now that sounds like a mob shakedown, doesn't it, Logan? <laughs> yeah. It Give sounds... me the numbers, otherwise I'm going to break your ankles. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it obviously was a threat. It was a threat with no teeth. Because the governor of Georgia is still there. And at last check, Brad Raffensperger was there until he decided to step down. 
the right-wing lunatics are losing the war. They win these little battles here and there, but they're losing the war. The war for the 2024 election. The economy keeps getting better and better. MAGA keeps humiliating themselves more and more. And I think we have a real opportunity to give this president, the most progressive president in U.S. history, a Senate majority minus Joe Manchin and the fake Democrat Kirsten Sinema, who will be replaced by Arizona Congressman Ruben Gallego, because it appears Gallego will be running against Sinema as an independent who will pull votes away from nutjob Carrie Lake, who seems to be a fixture in Arizona Republican politics, especially when it comes to losing elections in the state of Arizona. And can she even run for Senate if she still hasn't conceded her 2022 loss to current Governor Katie Hobbs? Because Carrie Lake was a, a, a gubernatorial candidate in the state of Arizona, yet she never conceded to Katie Hobbs, who clearly beat her. Even after a recount, she still beat her. So can a person who hasn't conceded the last race be allowed to run in a national statewide race? Apparently so. And it looks like, you know, fair-minded Republicans have decided uh, they'd rather vote for Kirsten Sinema than to give this insane crazy lady who used to be on the local news any oxygen at all, which is going to make it pretty easy on Ruben Gallego. Now, we do have two very important Senate seats to protect that are going to be difficult to protect. There's no way around it. First will be Sherrod Brown in Ohio, a state that has gone from being a bellwether to being a state that's, well, losing population at record levels. It's a state where I'm not sure why anyone would want to live there. I've been to Cleveland. Yeah. Nothing special about Cleveland. LeBron plays in LA now. Columbus is just sort of a spread out city. It has an old downtown, but most of that's been destroyed by commerce. Cincinnati's okay, but it's, uh, again, nothing to really write home about. And the rest of the state is either, you know, uh, a little bit of Southern Appalachia in the southeastern corner or cornfields. But Sherrod Brown, the only statewide elected Democrat left in the state of Ohio, has to hold on in a presidential election year. He's done it before. I believe he can do it again. But it's going to be an uphill battle. And we're going to need every single vote. It also helps that abortion will be on the ballot. Which might flip the whole damn state to Joe Biden and the Democrats. Because it is such a potent issue. And why Republicans keep doubling down on this is something I will never understand. Essentially, if this ballot measure passes... There will be no abortion in Ohio. This is an issue that could help Democrats carry the state or at least help split the ticket and ensure that Sherrod Brown returns to the United States Senate. Now, on to 
a senator for whom I have the utmost respect in John Tester from Montana. He was first elected, if I'm not mistaken, back in 2006. And in 2006, well, national politics were a lot different than they are now, especially in a state like Montana, which is a plus double digit state for Trump. If Trump is the Republican nominee and a convicted felon, not to mention he's been found civilly liable of rape, which is something that doesn't seem to uh, shake the MAGA faithful at all. They believe in this whole deep state notion and that the deep state's out to get you, especially back in 2020 when the head of the deep state, in quotation marks, was Donald Trump. How much more deep state does it get than the president of the United States? He was president and says that he was, he was going to get rid of the deep state. Well, you had four years to do that. You had four years to do something about immigration. You had four years to do something about the southern border. You had four years to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. This man will repeal the Affordable Care Act as soon as he gets into office, if he's allowed to become president again. And that will leave over 100 million Americans without health insurance, mostly because of pre-existing conditions. That's not to mention the 30 million or so of us who have our health care through healthcare.gov and the Affordable Care Act. Thank you, President Obama. This is, this was, and will always be a BFD. Thank you for that little acronym, President Biden. <laughs> it's going to be an uphill battle to hold on to the Senate. But I believe there are two Senate seats that we could uh, tack on for insurance. Number one is Texas. Ted Cruz is the most despised politician in the United States. And he's running against a man who two months ago, no one in Texas even knew. He was polling it, I think, 27 to 30% before the people of Texas really even knew who he was. And now he's either tied with or trailing by 1%, which is within the margin of error, to Ted Cruz. People, even people in Texas and people in Florida, do not like having books banned and burned. They do not like having women's rights thrown to the side, making them second-class citizens. And it, might, it may very well be women who secure victories, not just at the Senate level, but at the presidential level in a state like Texas, in a state like North Carolina which doesn't have a Senate race this time around, or in a state like Florida with Skeletor, a.k.a. Rick Scott, a man who, you know, is crazy about the six-week abortion ban that's going into effect in Florida, and a man who, you know, likes to play games with migrants, shipping them all the way across the country, and he's not even from a border state. Rick Scott is another putrid Republican senator, 
and a man who I think is very, very beatable. We need to invest heavily in Texas and Florida. We're already doing it in Texas. The ground game there has really ramped up because Ted Cruz has to go. Cancun Cruz, the man who fled the state during the epic cold a couple of years ago and headed down to Cancun with his family because, you know, he's a Harvard grad and you're not. So you don't deserve, you know, things like running water or uh, electric heat when the electric heat pumps all freeze up because Texas simply isn't prepared for 20 degree temperatures. Neither was Ted Cruz because he took his chubby ass to the airport and flew down to Cancun to get away from it all and was caught there at the airport. Pictures were taken. He had to answer hard questions and he left the country anyway. He left Texas anyway. Colin Allred, a former Dallas Cowboy football player, is, uh, well, gaining traction. And even if Joe Biden loses the state, I do believe Colin Allred can pick up that Senate seat. So that means we lose West Virginia. We're going to lose it. It's a 30, 40-point Republican state. And Joe Manchin is conceding his seat to the former governor of the state of West Virginia. Good riddance. Thank you for the judges, Joe Manchin. On every other case, to hell with you. You and your no-labels group of right-wing lunatics who want to just upset everything and give people an option other than, uh, well, uh, uh, Joe Biden, because we both know if there's a no-labels candidate on the ticket, which I think it might be a little late for at this point, it would grossly affect Joe Biden and have very little effect on the Trump faithful. So Joe Manchin's gone. Kirsten Sinema, the woman who killed the $15 an hour minimum wage and the bipartisan infrastructure bill will be out of the way as she's been exposed. She's essentially unhirable at this point. She can't be trusted, that's for sure. This was a woman who ran as a Green Party candidate just a few years ago. But much like Jill Stein, she could give two shits about what actually happens to this country, or Jill Stein wouldn't be on the ballot either. Just like Cornell West, brother this and brother that. And I have a lot of respect for Cornell West, or at least I used to, before he decided to throw his name in the ring for president because he needs to pay off something like $350,000 in back to taxes. And I guess Harvard doesn't pay well enough. So making sure John Tester holds on, making sure Sherrod Brown holds on in Ohio, and adding the insurance of Florida and Texas, well, those would be wonderful things. And I believe in such a toxic election year when Republicans have doubled down on mistake after mistake after mistake and now own all of the problems at the southern border because they caved to Dementia J instead of, you know, standing up and doing what's right. They decided to be professional bootlickers to a man who would happily throw them in front of a train if it meant saving his own ass. 
I don't know what to say for them. I don't know what to say for the Republican caucus. And now the craziness of the Republican caucus and the House has spilled over to the Senate, once called the cooling saucer of national politics, a place where things actually get done, where the adults reside. It wasn't that long ago I was having this discussion with my partner and editor, Logan Ramsey, about how the Senate has always been where grown-ups go and that the House is sort of a breeding ground for possible U.S. Senators. And now the Republican insanity has taken over the House of Representatives. We've always had the Ted Cruz's and the Rick Scott's. We've always had the, you know, uh, Missouri senators like Josh Hawley. But we've never seen it this bad. Give Joe Biden those two truly Democratic senators. Give him a truly Democratic House led by Hakeem Jeffries and watch this country change. The child tax credit would go back to being a monthly payment of either $300 or $500 for every child under the age of five. That's per child. That, when it was being used during the pandemic, took 50% of children out of the hunger, took them out of going to bed at night without any food on their stomach. It did so much for working families and Republicans refuse to renew it because we don't have anyone in the Democratic Party. We didn't have a majority big enough to kill the filibuster. Joe Manchin thought it was important to preserve this linchpin of Jim Crow era politics in the United States. That's the part he left out when he talked about the importance of the filibuster and the Senate, it's really, it was really only there to make sure that, you know, the states that uh, wanted to keep Jim Crow alive were able to filibuster any legislation that would have stopped it. And to get rid of the incredibly arrogant, smug, and blue-haired, purple-haired, pink-haired, Disgrace of a senator in Kirsten Cinema, gone, out, replaced with a real Democrat like Ruben Gallego. And then, again, we have to hold on to those two tough Senate seats. There's also one in Nevada, but I believe Jackie Rosen will be just fine. As we only need to win one county to win the entire state of Nevada. No one lives in the desert or out in the prairie, except for, well, a handful of Mormons and some cattle. It's Clark County. It's Vegas. It's Reno. And that's it. We can win those places. We can do this. Because, as the late, great, former president of the United States, JFK, said, we do these things because they are hard, not because they are easy. And with that, I will turn it over for comments from my co-host, Logan Ramsey. Logan, after everything you've heard me 
carry on about the Senate races in Arizona, the Senate race in Texas, the concession by Joe Manchin, who has been a thorn in the side of Democrats as he pretends to be a Democrat, in a state that used to heavily be Democratic because of the union workers. But when uh, Democrats largely turned against coal, um, well, it wasn't so much us as it was the free market. Natural gas is way cheaper yeah. than coal. And uh, so, you know, that they blame Democrats because, you know, coal's filthy. Uh, it kills the people who work in coal. But they want those jobs. They want those jobs so they can drive two hours to a coal mine and then stay a thousand feet underground for 12 hours at a time and breathe in that, what is it called, cilium or yeah. cilia? So that they could, you know, later suffocate to death literally die on their own farts yeah to die uh, uh of suffocation so it's good riddance to see joe manchin go again this yeah. is like, this is a guy who uh ran his his ads in a more mm, insidious manner than most republicans when he was uh initially elected back in 06 um then there's uh you know, Kirsten Cinema, who came in as a initially as a Green Party candidate, and then she was a true blue Democrat, and she was the first Democrat to break that wall in Arizona and show that Democrats could indeed win Arizona. And uh, then she betrayed the party in every way possible. You remember the smirk as she voted no on oh, the $15 yeah, an hour minimum wage? That's post. Kirsten Cinema, right. So, she is. She basically acted like a Trojan horse. She she wasn't. Yeah, she to destroy. Yep. She came in and killed the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. Then it's like, stay broke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody who's not already wealthy like me. Um, immediately, you started seeing her, you know, take elevators with Republicans and no Democrats. Democrats wanted very little to do with her. We really didn't need her vote to get judges. Um, and by the way, Joe Biden has appointed more judges in three years than any president has appointed in four years. Uh, so he's filling the federal judiciary with fair-minded, constitutionally-minded judges uh, who aren't uh, living in another you know universe like... Like that judge in Florida. Like that's Judge Eileen Cannon. Literally yeah. keep her hand up... Donald Trump's ass. Right. I mean, I think Donald Trump has his hand up her ass working her <laughs> mouth uh, because of some of the incredible rulings. Uh, you know, and then, so you have Ruben Gallego, who is getting all of the Democratic vote because uh, Kirsten Cinema doesn't appeal to any Democratic voters anymore. She's running as an independent, and the first thought was, oh, I'm going to torpedo any Democrat who tries to run for my seat in Arizona and make sure a Republican gets elected. Then it turns out that Republican is nut job Carrie Lake. I mean, oh, the God. crazy, she is Mrs. Donald Trump. Yeah. If Donald Trump really wanted to find a female version of himself, he found it in Carrie Lake. Um, she's as pathetic as Mike Lindell. You remember the My Pillow guy? Yeah. Who's now, I think, you know, completely bankrupt. I'm not sure, but he's, you know, uh, he's up Shit's Creek without a paddle, so to speak. Um, so 
Ruben Gallegos sort of cruising to victory in Arizona, especially if you look at the Arizona Senate polls for 2024. Then we have Colin Allred in Texas. Texas has been a one-point state now for several elections. And at any moment, you get enough disgust among the Republican majority that exists in Texas, which if you consider Texas, which has over 25 million residents, they have about a 250, 300,000 voter registration advantage for Republicans. However, you have to consider 15 to 20% of those Republicans, of, of total Republicans, yeah. won't vote for Trump. No. So that they won't have anything to do with him. They won't vote for Ted Cruz uh, because he's a Trump bootlicker. Um, and so out of that 15, 20%, you say, yeah, it's very possible that with enough money and enough support, Colin Allred will replace Ted Cruz in Florida. And I mean, I'm sorry, in Texas. And in Florida, Rick Scott, former governor and private billionaire, who bought his way into the governor's mansion and then bought his way into the United States Senate, I think is extremely vulnerable. People don't like book burnings. People don't like uh, being no, treated as second-class citizens. That's our history. Right, and, and, and they've outlawed that. You can't talk about that anymore. The 1619 Project, for example. Oh, Florida's cooked. About, yeah, and so... You know, you had Ron DeSantis win the state by like a 20-point margin uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I think in 2022, yeah, 2022 is reelected by almost a 20-point margin. And, and now he comes back completely handicapped and crippled um, by the 2024 uh, Republican uh, presidential primary where you know he was humiliated time and time again by Donald Trump and then bent over and, and, and kissed the ring like just as he said he wouldn't. Um, and, and, and then he turns around and right. does it anyway. <laughs> and then you've got a vocal advocate for stripping women of their rights, their yeah. reproductive rights in Rick Scott, the mm -hmm. senator. And he's a, a vocal um, uh, supporter of book bans. So you, you, you pin both those things on him, and we won't know in who the Democratic nominee is for Senate in Florida until late August. So we'll have basically September and uh, October to really push that candidate. But I think it would be money well spent by the DNC to begin attacking Rick Scott at every turn right now. The same with Ted Cruz. You know, we know who our nominee is going to be in, in, te in Texas. It's going to be Colin Allred. We have no idea yet in Florida who the candidate's going to be, or at least I am not privy to that information. And, um, but it, I don't think it would hurt uh, to just start attacking him, to start running attack ads on social media, on YouTube, on, you know, traditional television and radio, and letting people know what a shithead scumbag um, Rick Scott is, because it would certainly set that uh, can that Democratic candidate up for success in twenty twenty four. And again, yeah, it's an insurance policy. In what happens if we lose Ohio and Montana? Now we've lost three seats. We have a two seat majority. Then that means nothing gets done, even if Joe Biden gets reelected. So um, we can't allow that 
type of thing to happen. We have to, you know, stay on top of it and and getting that insurance policy because I believe Sherrod Brown's going to win Ohio. Um even if Trump wins it by seven or eight points. He's he's just that type of candidate. John Tester, on the other hand, who's a farmer from Montana, been in the Senate since 06. Um, I believe that he could possibly weather the storm, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, I think he could he could weather the storm. But it's going to be it's going to be a battle for him. Yeah, it's um, going to be a lot of hard it's work. It's going to be a lot. You're dealing with a Republican Party that's not like the Republican Party that, say, my grandfather grew up believing in. It's turned into this fascist madhouse. Mm-hmm. It's a cult. That, yeah, that nothing will get done unless it benefits them. Like war, war. Everyone already knows that war brings in money. And only the rich can profit from it because they throw in money for the war. And nothing's going to get done if we have a Republican Party that has a control. Even if Biden is reelected, if we don't have a Democratic chair or... Senate. Yeah, in the Senate, regardless how many bills he goes to try to throw at it, they're not going to be signed or done. He's been the last... Two years of his presidency, um, essentially, you know, uh, writing executive orders. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a bad map for Democrats this time around. Republicans are really only defending those two semi-vulnerable uh, seats. I do believe Texas and Colin Allred, I do believe he will win that one by big numbers. Um, I'm not sure about Florida because Florida has leaned so far right as of late but if he can if he could um if whoever is the not the nominee the eventual democratic nominee is can you know push on those buttons and get female voter turnout way up especially in Miami-Dade County and in those really dark blue parts of Florida then I think there's a really good chance, uh, especially with Hispanic outreach being what it is, we have to win those uh, second and third generation Cuban-American voters in Southern yeah. Florida because they've been leaning more and more Republican. And um, and that makes no sense whatsoever because, I mean... You're supporting brown, the man that's literally that's, trying yeah. to put you back where it you goes, came from. It goes back to the chickens for chicken McNuggets type of, of yeah. argument. Like, what in the it's hell like are I you thinking? It's like I just climbed out of this hole. Now you're trying to kick me back in. Exactly. But I'm going to support you. Exactly. Well, Logan, uh, this has been a long episode. We appreciate all of you following through to the end. Uh, if you want to continue hearing this type of analysis coming from the eye of the storm here in Knoxville, Tennessee, where we report on both Tennessee politics, speaking of worthless senators, Haggerty, Blackburn, two of the MAGA senators. Now my we, daddy. We have that. Tim Burchett, my daddy. Tim, my daddy. Burchett. Um, no man his age should be calling his he's father. He's a grown ass man. Like he my just daddy. needs to quit that shit. Um, yeah. Now, when you say my father and his war record, that against, makes you respect that. That's respectable. Especially since your father fought against fascism, the very thing you are now promoting. Timmy? Timmy! I, I believe, sir, your daddy 
is not proud of you. Yeah. If anything, he's sitting on the porch drinking ice cold tea and uh, wish it had bourbon in it. Yeah, when he's rolling in his grave. Uh, but at some point, you know, men and women have to stop calling their, their fathers, their daddy. If he say again, if he approached the media and said things like, well, my father, who was a World War II vet, uh, you would have never supported something like this. That sounds respectable. But coming at it like, uh, well, you, uh, my, my daddy, uh, again, I can't, I, we could spend all day getting into this. It's we, just disrespectful in the aspect and like the way he goes about laws and the way he goes about treating the state, it's, he does nothing. It, it's ridiculous. It, it's like a fat slob that you're praying to save right. the universe just sits there and goes, well, what do you want me to do? I'm willing to bet that if we, if you, if you Google it, research it at home, how many pieces of legislation has Tim Burchett uh, actually written uh, in the House of Representatives since he's been there? It would be zero. Zero. I don't think he that, that there has been a single Tim Burchett bill. But, you, you know, at some point, uh, we do actually have to uh, wrap things up. We will be back uh, either late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, if you're a night owl and you like to listen to podcasts, Late at night or early in the morning. We drop at 12. Uh, it should, it should uh, be, it should drop sometime around midnight. Um, otherwise, uh, we'll be there for you first thing. We're changing our, our uh, changing things up a little bit. We'll have an episode for you essentially um, first thing Monday morning, Wednesday morning, and Friday morning with the occasional Sunday show. Uh, outside of, of that, I will be, along with Logan in some cases, uh, traveling around Knoxville, showing you the discrepancy between some of the uh, glistening streets of downtown Knoxville and West Knoxville versus uh, the poverty that exists just two or three miles away in East Knoxville and in the Magnolia community. Of course, the community from which we uh, took our name if you want to continue to hear this type of podcast, again, coming from the eye of the storm here in Ruby Red, Tennessee, please consider giving at patreon.com forward slash Magnolia Media Network. We appreciate everything uh, that you guys do for us. We appreciate every single listener and you can follow me on Instagram at Magnolia John 2024 or at Magnolia Logan 2024 to see what we're up to. Again, we want to remind you that our March 15th episode will be coming from our second city, sort of our second home for the St. Patty Day Festival in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a city that is near and dear to my heart, one of my favorite cities uh, in the eastern United States. Oh, I love that big cold ice cube. That's, it's a cold son of a bitch, but it sure is a good time. We have a blast there. We might even have uh, some studio space uh, when we get up there. And, and it may be the future home of this podcast. If we can... You know, get it through the first year, the first couple of years. We may end up, uh, we may end up uh, there off uh, Stanwick and Forbes, where we've uh, uh, stayed in the past. So 
be sure and, and look for that on our upcoming schedule. We're still working on having our website built. I'll reach out this week sometime with our new recording schedule and have that done. And uh, again, we appreciate you sitting through this with us. Um, this has been a long episode because we hadn't done one in a few days due to extenuating circumstances. Again, um, if there's anything from you, Logan, before we go, any reminders, anything I missed? No, just much love and hope you enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Again, reach out to uh, patreon.com forward slash Magnolia Media Network. We appreciate anything you can give to help keep these videos pumping out. Also, please like and subscribe. Leave a comment. We don't care if you're yelling and screaming at us. Go ahead and leave that comment. Um, you can get our podcast anywhere you get podcasts. And this has been the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network. Until next time, be well. Be well.